And I'm Michelle Martin. So we've got a great Monday for you. And first, I need to acknowledge the photographer, James Mickley, took this incredible image behind me of Coronado Heights, which is near Lindsborg. I think that's a, one of the coolest pictures I've ever seen. There's, there's no end to the pictures of Coronado Heights, but this one is pretty spectacular. And as you all can tell, I have my background set today. It is the interior of the Capitol Dome in Topeka. And I was fortunate to be able to see the final end product of the restoration that took so many years. And one of my favorite things to do is uh, be on the, the lower level, lay on the ground and look up and hope I don't get stepped on when I take the picture. <laughs> and I actually took this one myself while I was there on Kansas Day. Well, I was in the um, Oklahoma Historical Society the other day and the new director is Trey Thompson who um, was in charge of the Capitol restoration in Oklahoma City. Um, that will, I think, open later this year or maybe it's a year from now. But he was talking about all the trips they made to the Capitol in Topeka to make notes because their restoration was so incredible. They even came up to look at the furniture. So kudos to all the Capitol staff and the workmen and the architects and the visionaries that made that happen. Yes, because quite frankly, Deb, I don't know how you feel, but I've traveled all over this country and I've been in state capitals all over our nation. And quite frankly, I still think the most beautiful and breathtaking capital of all is right in Topeka. Uh, it's, it's stunning. And a few years ago, the, um, the arts community in Topeka did a plein air, uh, um, art um, uh, event, I guess is the best way to say it, all over the um, town of Topeka. And so they picked what was iconic about the town. And I was really honored to write the introduction to that book. And I talked about the state capitol and how that's historic. It's, it's all these things, but it is our crowning piece of art. And I think that's, uh, as Dick Bond says, God bless him, what a statesman he was. He said, this is the people's house. And it sure reflects that. And the people, no matter where you are in the state of Kansas, you can be proud of this capital and you should visit it and you should take the kids. It is, it's stunning. And, and to think, Deb, if we think about the year 1856 in the history of Kansas, uh, in that territorial period, to think that Topeka wasn't even the official capital in 1856. That's right. It sure wasn't. God bless Cyrus Holiday <laughs> for fighting to make it the capital. But um, 1856, uh, one of the most tumultuous years in American history, and especially the history of Kansas, it really wasn't for sure that anything would be the capital of Kansas, that Kansas would even, or the nation, you know, would survive what was going on at the time. So um, we went through a, a, a flurry of territorial capitals there for a while. So yeah, it's pretty remarkable that Topeka wound up with the honor. You know, I, I've been thinking a lot lately, this past year with the pandemic, it made me think a lot about the hardships that people in Kansas in the territory faced in the 1850s 
whether it be native people who were being progressively pushed even further westward into the state or even south, south um, across the border into the Indian territory, whether it be uh, slaves who were really hinging their bets on freedom on the outcome of the territorial elections in Kansas, whether it was settlers from north, south, and east who were streaming their way in, um, I know we think we've got it tough right now, but I have to tell you, I think those folks, especially those who were living in Kansas in the spring of 1856, had it far harder than we could probably ever imagine life being. Well, I, um, I think about that too. And I, um, it's like I said the other day, I'd much rather study historic times than live through them because I really uh, love studying that period, but no way would I trade spots with any of those people. It was, I can remember researching in the Library of Congress many years ago, and I was in the newspaper room back before you had newspapers.com and all that stuff. And you had to go to microfilm and, and through the physical bound volumes of newspapers. And I found um, the front page of the London Times in June of 1856, June or July, the, a lot had happened. And the front page of the London Times said war in Kansas. And I thought, wow, you know, the eyes of the world were on the Kansas territory. What an incredible uh, testament to what was going on here at the time. And for me, of course, being a scholar of women and um, African-Americans and American Indians in the West, I think about what the women were going through uh, with all the political turmoil that actually came to physical blows, especially in 1856. I think about uh, the women who were living along Pottawatomie Creek. I think about Mahala Doyle and Louisa Wilkinson, whose husbands were killed that night. And in the case of Mahala Doyle, two of her sons as well. But I also think, I think about um, the family of, I think about John Brown's family. I think about Florella Adair and Samuel. And when activities came in and out through Osawatomie and how they must have been terrified for their lives. And I know, I know everything that we're going through today is extremely uh, sad. It can be very depressing, but I still do think about it and think, you know, I'm safe and I don't worry about someone knocking on my door and asking, are you sound on the goose? and not knowing who's on the other side of that door and giving the wrong answer. So I, while I grieve for a lot of the things I'd love to be doing, like traveling to Kansas right now, uh, I'm also very mindful of the fact we've had times in our nation's history that have been far worse. And <laughs> we have found ways to come through those things. So, but, but the spring of 1856 was definitely uh, the most troubling in Kansas territorial history. Yeah, in May of 1856, you've got the, the sack of Lawrence, you know, the burning of Lawrence uh, before Quantrell, folks. This is um, uh, years before Quantrell would do it. And then you have the Pottawatomie massacre that Michelle was referring to with uh, the Doyle families and Wilkinsons. And then you have the Battle of Blackjack and um, there's just, uh, it's like, uh, as my friend Captain Dale Dye says, 
this is when the defecation hit the oscillation <laughs> and um, it's a, it's the truth. And then um, July 4th, you have um, on Kansas Avenue and Topeka right there in front of the, um, the uh, Constitution Hall on Kansas Avenue that is being restored as we speak. They're working yes. on it right now, um, putting up the, the uh, stone facades and just, oh my gosh, it's been the dream of so many people for so long and, and just so thrilled to see that happening right now. But you had a confrontation between the Free State Militia of Topeka and the um, the cavalry from Fort Leavenworth under the command of Bull Sumner, and uh, uh, whose orders were to keep the free state legislature from meeting because it had been elected um, illegally. It was uh, extra extra legal. I think that's what they called it, extra legal, which doesn't mean more than legal. It mean it means quite the opposite. The extra legal. Um, territorial legislature and you know they they were not recognized by Washington so um, it was a oh my gosh what a complicated time like you said you never know uh, who's going to come and um, ask you where your loyalties are and uh, you never know the right answer to to stay safe and um, people you know a lot of people left the territory at that point because it was a it was a scary place so yeah and to throw in a promo for the Santa Fe Trail a lot of that history was happening along the Santa Fe Trail like yes. there at uh, Blackjack and then in the Kansas City area and um, you know just uh, on down into into Council Grove there's a lot of it's a hotbed right then well all of Kansas uh, in the territory was a hotbed and yeah. You know, I, again, I feel so fortunate to be able to look back and study that time period, but to live in the time period that I am, I really do love everything. Yeah. I love not having snakes dropping down out of the roof of my house onto my dinner table. And I really like not opening my door to find men with guns and knives pointed at me and if I had children. And so uh, I think we are very fortunate to live in the time that we are. And speaking of time, I think it's time uh, that we let our advertisers share uh, their messages with you. We have some fantastic supporters, so give them a listen. Howdy, I'm Seth Hayes and welcome to my hometown from then to now. Council Grove has a rich history, as deep as the prairie tall grass. Spend the day visiting 25 historic sites, or explore the unique shops and restaurants, or mosey out of town along the Santa Fe Trail. Y'all visit my hometown, Council Grove, in the heart of the Flint Hills. Okay, looks like it's time for our tour. Welcome to the Fort Wallace Museum. Here at the museum, you're gonna find some really interesting stuff like our replica stagecoach from the Butterfield Overland Dispatch. We've got facades from the fort buildings. And we've got an 1870s flag. There's a plesiosaur that was discovered locally. We've got the Ray pump organ collection. We're a little bit place with a great big story and we'd love to have you.
Welcome back. As we were discussing the spring of 1856, that's just the beginning of what is going to continue to be a violent year. And whenever I was doing presentations for general audiences, mostly on Bleeding Kansas, I would always share one picture of this beautiful little boy. And I would say, this is the most famous person who lived through Bleeding Kansas. Do you know who it is? And invariably people guessed John Brown, Billy the Kid, um, yeah, Wyatt Earp. Um, it was just pretty ridiculous, you know. And for one thing, he wasn't pretty enough to be John Brown. And of course, John Brown was quite a bit older during that time. Yes. And then, um, of course, Wyatt Earp was nowhere near Kansas at that point. And, you know, so all wrong, wrong, wrong. It was Buffalo Bill Cody, uh, little Willie Cody at the time when his family moved to Kansas. Actually, they were on the ferry crossing the Missouri River when they got word that the Kansas-Nebraska Act was passed. They were um, going to go kind of scout out some land. So they settled around Fort Leavenworth in the Salt Creek Valley, which was pretty heavily pro-slavery. The, uh, a lot of the forts, um, a lot of the officers owned slaves. They were um, from Southern states, pro-slavery, whether they owned them or not. Um, and they were definitely uh, um, not like, um, not like a lot of other parts of Kansas where the free state cause was so, uh, so adam, you know, the free staters were so mm -hmm. adamant about the cause. So Isaac Cody, who um, was an ardent abolitionist, but not an overbearing man. He, he's really kind of a quiet man. He tries not to confront his neighbors, but one day in 1856, he's confronted and his neighbors force him to make a speech. And he says, you know, let's all just get along. Why can't we just get along? And, and he gave them his uh, reasonable account of why he didn't believe in slavery. And some of the people got so enraged, they were Missourians from over at Weston. They got so enraged, they jumped up and stabbed him. Now he didn't die then, but he dies in 1857 as a result of that. He never gets over it. And young Willie Cody, um, vowed vengeance. He said when he grew up, he was going to get those people back. And he grew up and became a Jayhawker, looted and plundered over in Missouri. His mother said he was no better than a horse thief. She did not approve. But um, yeah, it was, uh, uh, like I said, it was a difficult time to live through and maintain any kind of civility, any kind of objectivity, and certainly to remain neutral, that was nearly impossible. And you know what I find really fascinating, Deb, is that's the climate in Kansas in 1856, and that starts to spread. I mean, it's not just Kansas, it's the Kansas-Missouri border, and it kind mm -hmm. of spreads outward from there, and it begins to engulf the nation. And quite honestly, um, I think in some cases, we've never gotten over that. I think we're still that way today, and I think that's one of the legacies of the Civil War itself. Um, I think we had deep division after the war. I think Reconstruction added to that division and added to the very bitter feelings. And uh, Reconstruction, as it was practiced out here in the West, um, left a very harsh taste in the mouth of many. And 
in some respects, I think a lot of our division that we see today in society, I feel it can historically be traced right back to, especially in the West, to that Kansas territorial period, and especially 1856, because it is such a flashpoint year. Um, before, you know, it seems as if both sides are just kind of dipping their toes into the water of war. They're testing each other out. But mm -hmm. boy, if something happens. And I think it's, you had that bitter, bitter, harsh winter that started in the fall of 1855, like November, December sure. of 1855. Yeah. You had that bitter, bitter winter of 1856 and people were starving. People were having trouble making ends meet. And then you had all of that, po the political talk and the action. And all of a sudden, I think it's as soon as spring bloomed, the violence and the bloodshed bloomed with it. It just exploded. And I think once that happened, there, there was really little you could do to stop it. I, you're right about that winter. They said it got down to 40 below on, on some days. And I know the, the Richies in Topeka talked about the, uh, and they were living in a dugout that winter. Um, they're on the side of the Shungananga Creek and they talked about the water in glasses freezing on the table and having to hold bread over the fire to get it warm enough to slice it. Um, and uh, they're, um, their baby girl died, um, I think that fall because it was damp and cold and, and she got sick. And that's when Mary Jane Ritchie said, we're not living in a dugout anymore. You're gonna have me a house by next year or you know, we're out of here. Um, so the weather was just you know, one of the factors they had to deal with. And I think you're right. I think people stayed holed up all winter and they were um, um, kind of uh, had a lot of pent up emotion by the time spring rolled around and, and a new year. And they had had time to sit inside and think about things that they wanted to happen. So it was a, it was a tumultuous time for sure. And a lot of those things, um, good and bad, characterize um, the Kansas nature. Like there, I, I wish I could remember which professor said it um, not too long ago, but he talked about the politics of early Kansas, of fleeting Kansas and, and the Civil War era. And he said, Kansas is still like this. You have one party that rules and it's the factions in that party that um, like you had, uh, as you well know, you had Jim Lane and you had Charlie Robinson, Jim Lane being the first U.S. Senator, Charlie Robin being Robins, Robinson being the first governor. And they are um, diametrically opposed, even though they belong to the same party. And that's still the case in Kansas and has played out in many elections that we've had in the past few years. And then, you know, the other party gets in um, when the Republican Party divides so much that they can't uh, get somebody in office. And yeah, those are those are lingering legacies um, from that time period. You know, and I'm always struck and I've studied in particular in 1856, um, the Pottawatomie Creek Massacre in depth um, because I wanted to understand not just the politics behind it, not just those sentiments of free state versus slave state, you know, abolitionists versus pro-slavers, but there's also this middle ground. 
um, these folks who fall somewhere in the middle who are really kind of free soil where they're, they're not, they don't really care one way or another about slavery and they just want to duck their head down and they want to hold on because they're there because th many of them are poor mm -hmm. and they need a fresh start in life. And yeah. Kansas held out that promise of a fresh start a place where you could pick up, you could move to, you could start again, reinvent yourself over, uh, try to make a better life for yourself, for your family. And, and I do. And, you know, yes, the Doyle family, um, James Pleasant Doyle believed in slavery. Uh, he, they were a very poor family and they never owned slaves. And so for him, he kind of falls a little bit in between those, in between the pro-slavery and free soil worlds because mm -hmm. his prime objective in coming to Kansas and bringing his wife and all of his passel of children was to find a better life, to find a place to settle. Land, land. Land, yeah, land fever. Yeah. Uh, land fever is rampant. And, you know, what I feel, I feel bad the most for the women and the children. Yeah. Who were caught in the middle, who really were victims uh, became victims of the politics. Uh, I, I think about Louisa Wilkinson that night, you know, in May of 1856, when Brown and his men came to her door, and it was just Louisa, uh, her husband, and I think they had one child, and she was ill with the measles. And as an adult, getting the measles is even more dangerous. And mm -hmm. she begged them to spare her husband, and they took him out and killed him and told her, You've got neighbors who can help you. And, you know, the nearest neighbors were the Doyles. And Mahala had just lost her husband, her two oldest sons, and now had her terrified children to care for. So nobody's going to leave their cabin on a night like that, not sure of who's lurking about. And sure. I feel terrible in 56, the women and children of Lawrence, who, you know, are, who fall hands to the depredations of those who come in and raid. I feel bad for the, the, the civilians of Osawatomi who are also caught up in this. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, it's really, um, I've reached a point I really am so fascinated with and really love exploring the civilian perspective on all of this because it's so completely different than what we read in the newspapers and what we're hearing from the political mouthpieces um, especially the Jim Lanes and the John Browns and the Charles Robinsons of the world. We get a completely different view of this time period. And really, I think understanding the hurt and the pain of those people helps you understand why it's left such a bitter legacy. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And um, the the struggle to build a better life, you know, that's um, that is the eternal uh, quest you know, that no matter what time you live in, no matter where you are, that desire to build a better life is is in all of us, in all civilizations. And you're right, so many people were just reaching out for that and didn't give a hoot about politics and just wanted to be left alone to raise their families and raise their crops. And uh, it's it's sad and there's stories like that all throughout history you know where those people are the ones who are caught in the middle and suffer most so it's a um it's a time worth looking at and worth exploring it's um 
you know, when we were working on, um, I've been visiting with Ken Spurgeon a lot. So when we were working on Touched by Fire, uh, Michelle, so many years ago, that documentary about Bleeding Kansas and then Bitter Blood that Wide Awake Films did, you know, two really wonderful films about that period that uh, we highly recommend and recommend that you, you know, as a family, you look at, but, you know, if you're a teacher or um, uh, just show it to your kids, but if you're a teacher, I would, I'd certainly use one or both of those to help understand that time. Yeah, Touched by Fire. Um, actually, an interesting side note, I was actually supposed to work on that production and actually became very ill before uh, production started. And so I had to, to bow out. I was supposed to portray Mahala Doyle. Mm -hmm. um, but I was very thankful that Ken Spurgeon, our good friend, that he remembered me and came back around when he worked on Bloody Dawn. And yeah. so I was able to help uh, with Bloody Dawn. And actually, I was involved in Bad Blood with uh, Wide Awake Films and actually was able to portray Mahala Doyle finally. And um, yes, both films are fantastic. They're, they're amazingly, they humanize. Right. Seemingly right. inhuman conflict. And yeah. so I think they're really valuable tools, especially if you're a teacher at, you know, the middle and high school level, the college level. But if you are a Kansan who wants to understand why the state motto is ad astra per aspera, um, to the stars through difficulty. Yeah, a lot of per aspera. There was a whole lot of per aspera going on. Yeah, you definitely want to watch both of those uh, because they really will help you get a feel for that time period. And in particular, 1856, one of the most difficult years of all. Well, we've, uh, I, I'm not sure if enjoy is the right word because it's a pretty depressing topic, quite, quite honestly. But as you all know, Michelle and I love diving into history and, and that territorial period is one of our favorite times. So we appreciate your joining us today. And, you know, stay tuned. We've got more coming next. Well, we've got more coming on Wednesday and Friday and then back again next week for a lot more history. So we hope you'll stay with us. We hope you enjoyed discovering history with us today. So I'm, I'm, I'm Deb and we'll see you somewhere around Kansas. We'll get it together one of these days, people. Welcome to the Western Kansas Wildlife Travel Center right here in my hometown of Oakley, Kansas. We're the front door of Western Kansas located on three main highways, I-70, US-83, and US-40. And all those roads lead to history, beautiful scenery, and adventure no matter which direction you go. We now have an IHOP brand that you've trusted up and down the road in all your travels is staffed with local folks, real people, just like you and me, and we're waiting on you to join us. So for fun, adventure, fuel up, fuel your body, and let's have some fun. trade route was open from Missouri in the United States across prairies and mountains to Mexico. In 2021, 
We will mark 200 years of epic conflicts and grand adventures, larger-than-life personalities, and sweeping landscapes. Join us on an historic journey. The Santa Fe Trail lives on. Find us on social media or santafetrail.org.